This episode of That's What She Said is brought to you by Audible. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash she said for your free audiobook download. This episode is also brought to you by Stars. Visit stars.com to subscribe today. Hi, I'm Phyllis Lappin Van, and I'm listening to That's What She Said. That's What She Said, episode 74, Retro Sexual Harassment. Hey! Hey, I've seen this one. I've seen this one. This is a classic. This is the one with Todd Packer. What do you mean you've seen this? Brand new. Yeah, well, I saw it on a rerun. It's a rerun. You'll find out. That's what she said. Time to the on. That's what she said. Flux capacitor. Fluxing. That's what she said. Let's count it down. Three, two, one. My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, they're going to see some serious shit. What does the female vagina look like? Great Scott! And welcome to episode 74 of That's What She Said, a podcast about the Emmy Award-winning NBC show, The Office. As always, I'm your human resources coordinator, Matt Summer, and this week we're going to be taking an in-depth and spoiler-filled look at the second episode of season two, entitled Sexual Harassment, which originally aired Tuesday, September 27th, 2005. Who has two thumbs and loves season two? This guy. When the CFO resigns, Scranton must undergo a refresher seminar on sexual harassment. Michael sees it as a direct assault on his management style. Solution? Why, hire James P. Albini, of course. Meanwhile, Pam's mom comes to the office, Todd Packer spreads his own brand of political incorrectness, and Dwight begins his quest for the clitoris. My only regret is that our public school system failed him so badly. Lots to discuss, lots to talk about. Let's head on over to the water cooler. It's a real shame, because studies have shown that more information gets passed through water cooler gossip than through official memos, which puts me at a disadvantage, because I bring my own water to work. Why'd you do this? I didn't do it. Oh, the water cooler was brought over here for maintenance. So what do you guys hear? What's the scuttlebutt? Joining me at the water cooler again this week is our dear friend, our senior sales associate, my BFF. Kevin Crossman. Crossman, how's it going? Still queer? <laughs> oh, Matt, no matter how much uh, we've all grown, no matter how much you want to, it's inappropriate to take a bath with me. <laughs> you said what? <laughs> uh, well, here we are. It's been a little while since our last episode, uh, according to my calendar. <laughs> About a month or so, but here we are. It is the end of July, and we are rocking and rolling with a Season 2 retro of uh, the classic episode sexual harassment and of course kevin you and i both have gone on record as saying that season two is our favorite of the five office seasons and sexual harassment is another one of those reasons why you know we did earlier the dundies intro retro episode and that set the second season off to really rock and start uh the show at this point was still kind of finding its legs it was starting to come into its own as uh, a separate identity, not that clone of the British version that we saw mostly in Season 1. And uh, we get some uh, classic stuff in here, some origins of a lot of traditions, such as the first, uh, That's What She Said. And famously used on the intro to our show. (laughs) Yes, uh, you you may be familiar with that clip, uh, indeed, (laughs) with Jim goading Michael on to his... uh, that's what she said, climax, as it were. Other stuff in here, we get the first sort of physical appearance of Todd Packer, played by David Keckner. 
who, uh, according to the information uh, I've gleaned here on the commentary track, is that Steve Carell is the one who actually recommended Keckner for the role, and he was a perfect fit, of course. And my only regret, really, with the, with Todd Packer is that where the hell has the guy been? We haven't seen him yeah. in uh, two seasons, and I think that's just a crying shame. He's only actually had four appearances, uh, one voice-only appearance in Back from Vacation, where uh, mm-hmm. Michael was trying to track down the Jamaica Jan Sun Princess photo. But otherwise, I mean, he's been using sexual harassment, Christmas party, and then Ben Franklin, and then nothing. So what is the deal with Todd Packer here? We need some more of this stuff, don't we? Oh, we do. He's one of my favorite characters, and it's not like David Keckner's turning into a major movie star. In fact, he was in Got Smart with Steve Carell last summer, so that relationship continues. I don't know why... Carell can't get him back on the office, but uh, anyway, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny, this episode, of course, you talked about season two, ad nauseum, it's sort of up on the pedestal there, and, and I hadn't watched this episode in a long time, and it has a very good reputation, and I'd say after watching it, it was a good episode, and like you said, I really appreciated all the origin stuff, but I don't know that it stands up as the most laugh-out-loud hilarious episode from beginning to end. I think that the great moments over take this sort of moments that kind of go on and on with Michael kind of going crazy there a little bit. So I'm going to temper my enthusiasm. If that turns me into bad cop for this episode, even though I did <laughs> like this episode, I will we'll have to, you know, go with it. Well, no, I mean, obviously the episode is not perfect. It's uh, very sort of thematically similar to Diversity Day. A lot of the same kind of construction where where Michael does something kind of inappropriate and then he sort of feels like he's being persecuted and he tries to convince everyone to keep the things alive, I guess, that they can handle it themselves. They don't need corporate sticking their nose in. So it is a little similar to that formula, which that episode only actually aired like four episodes before this one. So again, but still uh, very kind of thematically similar in certain ways. Uh, And yeah, some of the stuff kind of comes out of left field. I mean, as, as hilarious as I think that the Dwight stuff is, it is a little bit maybe far fetched. A little perfect. <laughs> but I, it, it, it's a big enough laugh for me that it was worth it. I mean, at this point, we're still defining who Dwight is in season two. I mean, we hadn't really seen all the total wacky stuff uh, that we've gotten since then. So this is sort of a new thing. This was sort of the, uh, you know, Dwight as the nerd, stereotypical loser kind of guy. I don't think the Dwight that we have right now, he certainly doesn't seem like the kind of guy that would wonder where the clitoris is. Um, or not know how to go to the internet and take a look. Exactly. Something like that. So, I mean, it's, it's part of the character development. We also still in this episode, we have the, the total librarian buttoned up Kelly. Um, mm-hmm. No, I don't believe any creed in this episode either. Uh, no lines, I think. He was, but he was, he was in the episode. Uh, we have Kevin, who doesn't have quite that Kevin voice yet as well. And uh, definitely back to the old really put upon... Pam, who just <laughs> seems to be abused left and right. Right. But, you know, the thing about that is, though, in this episode, and we talked a little bit about this before we started recording, and you and I were both not really big fans of the whole baby thing this last season, and we weren't, I don't think, I, mean, I don't want to speak for both of us here, but I definitely haven't really been super in love with this couple this last season. And I don't want to be one of those cliche people that says, oh, you know, the spark is gone and this and that and everything. But it is kind of gone. I mean, you see in this in season two, it's always so refreshing to go back and see the seeds, to see the spark, to see it build up. Because in this episode, 
and I have this kind of broken down into the Michael and Jim and Pam plots, but I mean, really, the Jim and Pam plot is so sort of ephemeral. It's such a small little moment, and we got a lot of these kind of small little moments in season two where the biggest yeah. thing that happens in this episode that to advance the relationship is that Pam's mom, you know, at the end says, oh, which one is Jim? And so Jim kind of gets that little smile on his face to know that Pam's thinking about him. And that was it. I mean, that was just like those little crumbs, those little tidbits that kept us kind of going and, uh, and hoping for this relationship to work out. Far, far cry from the whole super over-the-top, ecstatic, uh, smiling, mugging behind the glass wall that we saw from Company Picnic. So I really love that yeah. stuff. I know, you, I know you can't go back and recapture those kind of things anymore, but it's, it's, it, I, I, it makes me remember why I really rooted for them in the first place. Well, I think you can go back if you look at the plot structure of this episode. You, like you were just saying, there's an A plot, and it's an A plot, and there's a C, D plot with the Jim and Pam, and there's not you know, a B, big old B plot to take up a bunch of time. I think there are plenty of moments in Season 5, little Jim and Pam moments, where if it, if it had been part of a C plot like in this episode, it would have been fine. But it became like a big drama thing with her whole thing in New York, and the whole he's freaking out at the bar and driving off to New York, and he changes his mind. I mean, all this drama last season, if it had been just these little moments and little advances in their um, relationship, not just big, giant, huge things like babies. <laughs> then I think we'd all appreciate it a lot better. That's true. Now, what do you what did you make of that? Which one is Jim? Do you think it was just he's he's the friend you have at work, or do you think that there's been some discussion with mom that he seems like a really cool guy and maybe I'm not so happy with Roy? Well, I, you know, it's hard to say. I mean, I think you kind of read it that way that he he doesn't know and we don't know, but it's just like he's being introduced into the conversation. That's a plus. Pam's bringing him up to the mom, and so he, he's in there, at least. He's got his foothold in the door. There's kind of an interesting thing in this season, because in this season, they were still... I think they were still trying to present Roy somewhat sympathetically in this. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, Well, maybe I'll take that back, because we, earlier in the episode, we get a scene of Roy and Daryl pretty much making Michael cry. <laughs> <laughs> so, on that one hand, we were, we're kind of thinking, oh, Roy is sort of maybe a dick, and then Later on, when he comes up, he's all, like, in a little sweater. He's got his hair all combed, and he's all nice, and, and Mom likes him. And, you know, we kind of get this little coupley thing in there where we maybe sort of feel a little bit bad about uh, breaking up that relationship. You know, I didn't get to the point where it did later on where he became such a villain that it was such a obvious choice. But uh, right. it's kind of interesting to see that start to play out here a little bit um and there's a nice little moment where he kind of jim hesitantly steps up to the desk to talk to pam and her mom and roy comes in right at that moment and so he just kind of pretends to take a jelly bean out of the jar and then instantly turns around so mm -hmm. he's still kind of a chicken when it comes to that whole thing he doesn't want to get into it so it's a nice nice building block as we said it, obviously we see that go on throughout the rest of season two climaxing in Casino night. Well, and the thing, too, with Casino night is then you have the bookend with Pam talking on the phone to her mom when Jim walks in and kisses her and everything. So that is a nice sort of season bookend moment here with, with Pam's mom. A couple of notes here that we've gleaned from listening to the commentary track and our old friend Wikipedia. Uh, 
This episode was, as far as we know, the only episode, a first episode that aired with an adult content and subject matter warning uh, for one very specific reason. Uh, and if you don't know, think about it now. Uh, the reason is Michael's classic line at the end where he says, I'm not worried about you turning me into HR. The only thing I'm worried about is getting a boner. <laughs> and so using that word boner caused them to have to air an adult content warning Kevin, and apparently they wanted them to use the word schwing in some capacity as a replacement, but they, they fought for it. They fought for Boner, and they got Boner, but it apparently cost them. <laughs> One station in Kentucky apparently refused to air the episode, so a little controversial. Well, you know, uh, directions are outlawed in Kentucky, so they kind of had to. <laughs> Oh, uh, well, still, it's kind of interesting. I, I mean, does, does that strike you in this day and age as a scandalous sort of thing? Do you think that in 2009, would we still have those same standards and practices problems with saying that word? I'm sure we would, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, man. Come on, they had a whole character on uh, Growing Pains named Boner or whatever, didn't they? That's right, that's true. <laughs> I forgot about that. But I but, suppose it's all in the context. Yeah, I mean, maybe if he'd called it a chubby instead, maybe they would have gotten away with it. <laughs> but you would have lost the classic, classic line where Michael seems to do the right thing and then blows it at the last yeah. moment. That's what she said. Well, and I have to say, it was pretty funny that we uh, chose this episode because we had the uh, 50 signs or priest might be Michael Jackson. Well done. <laughs> well, as topical. Jim says, very topical. <laughs> My only concern is Kevin is a too soon. <laughs> too soon. Right. Um, a couple so other tidbits. If you know where my opinion is on Michael Jackson? Just read my Twitter feed. <laughs> well, you love him, of course, as does everyone else. Well, uh, a couple other little tidbits here. Uh, originally, they they were trying to get a, a Mustang for Todd Packer's car, but they ended up going with the Corvette convertible, which they felt was very appropriate. Of course, his wonderful uh, personalized license plate that plays in for a. A lovely yet very dated gag later in the episode. Absolutely. Um, the character of Todd Packer was modeled after the character of, from the British show, uh, Chris Finch, who, like that character there, uh, David Brent, has this sort of one-sided friendship with this guy, and, and he's very sort of mean and nasty and, and, and very dismissive to him. And we get that same sort of sense in this episode with the relationship between Michael and... Uh, and Packer, a lot of stories, I don't have it in the clip here today, but you know, Michael tells a story about how they, they, they went out together one night and, and brought back two twins, and, you know, and Packer banged them both, and wow, that was amazing. We heard uh, in another, the other episode, we heard Michael's story about how Todd Packer sort of uh, drove off and left Michael behind, and Michael got beat up. <laughs> For him, and, and but Packer, what a what a great guy! Yeah, great guy. And of course, the uh, great guy who left the uh, the package in Michael's office during the carpet as well. So, yeah, a little rocky relationship. Maybe Michael's sort of learning that he's not really a great friend. I'd still like to see him come back at least once a season. I can't believe that we haven't gotten him back that uh, since way back in season three. It's a shame. Bring back yeah. more Pack. All right, and this episode was written by B.J. Novak. He's done 10 episodes and a bunch of ones, including Prince Family Paper, Dream Team, Local Ad, Safety Training. And this episode was directed by Ken Quapis, who's done 12 episodes 
most recently, Company Picnic, Lecture Circuit, The Job, Gay Witch Hunt, and many others. Exactly. So the A-Team is on this episode, that's for <laughs> sure. Although we didn't quite know yet that they were the A-Team. But still, a lot of the best lines in this mission is written by BJ Novak. A lot of the, the trademark lines, like the, that's what she said, and uh, some of the other jokes in here, Novak credited them as being things that were said by his college buddies, or at least by some of the fratty sort of guys that he knew in college. So it doesn't take credit for them, of course. Let's go ahead and just dive into the episode. Michael is, uh, you know, as always, a little inappropriate in the office, uh, comes up to Jim and uh, asks him if he got that thing you sent him. Check your spam folder. There it is. 50 signs your priest might be Michael Jackson. Well done. <laughs> Topical. I am king of forwards. It's how I like to do business. Everybody joking around. We're like friends. I am Chandler and Joey and uh, Pam is Rachel and Dwight is Kramer. So the monkey does the sex thing right here. <laughs> That's funny. Not offensive. Uh, because it's nature, educational. Do you want the link? Because then you could forward it around. Um, I... Consider it? E maybe. <laughs> I just love the idea that there's sort of this little hierarchy of these two guys, like Dwight's trying to bag Michael <laughs> to forward his his little pick. You know, it's sort of like a dig or uh, or something like that of, of the time. Right, he, this is the way he's going to get in Michael's good graces by supplying with good forward material, right? He's like a, <laughs> he's like a joke writer. It's like it's like the, you know, funny people. It's Seth Rogen trying to supply jokes for Adam Sandler, right? Right. Yes, he's so, trying to make his pitch. Yeah. So, I mean, a funny thing that about this episode is that there's no cold open, so maybe that's partially why there's not so many jokes as per your normal episode of The Office because they always punch that up really well. <laughs> but I think we get a good sense of the of the things they're trying to make fun of here, besides the whole sexual harassment thing. Everyone's been through that at work, and it's always boring and just obviously rife for satire. Well, this whole forward thing, too, and some people love it, some people hate it. We all have that annoying neighbor or coworker who sends us these terrible emails, and some <laughs> of them are funny, but most of them aren't. Um, Matt, not saying it's you. But anyway, uh, so, th you know, this is good. this is good material for the show. Yeah, it's kind of funny. I mean, it just kind of shows us how I think our uses of the Internet have changed in the last four years. Email forwards. I think email forwards are kind of losing prominence to to the Web 2.0 stuff, like I said, like dig.com or like the, the comedy sites out there, um, Twitter, Facebook, I think are much bigger ways of people sort of sharing these sorts of things these days, but still, I, yeah, I just like that idea, this is kind of funny, we're still seeing that, like you said, the evolution of Dwight, where Dwight's still kind of at this point, totally in that Garrus mode, that sycophant kind of guy, where he just wants to please Michael, you know, he's just kind of a clueless, innocent sort of guy. They also sort of develop this, and they talk about this in the commentary a little bit, where Kevin sort of starts to become kind of like the dumb guy in the office. Uh, he's the one that really likes the forwards. Later on, he opens up the email with the monkey. You hear the monkey sex sound effect, uh, and, and mm -hmm. Kevin chuckling over that whole thing. So Michael's down. You know, Michael, Kevin, and Dwight are all down with the email forwards. I don't know about anybody else there, but um, <laughs> well, this leads into the whole thing here with 
this idea that something is going to come down for Michael's kind of inappropriate behavior. He also, in this episode, it's kind of funny, I don't want to read too much into this line, but, you know, he, he brings up that, that line, like, we're like friends in the office. Um, I'm, I'm kind of surprised he considers himself both Chandler and Joey. <laughs> There's no room for Jim in the mix. Jim could be Ross. Yeah, I suppose that's true. Uh, <laughs> but he doesn't really hear, he does a little bit later in the episode where he talks about the family thing a little bit more. But um, at this point, apparently, he's still he, he's seeing the office more as his friends rather than uh, yes, his family. Indeed. Speaking of friends, here we get the introduction of Michael's BFF. What hey. has two thumbs and likes to bone your mom? <laughs> this guy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, What's up, Halpert? Uh-oh. Still queer? <laughs> Todd Packer and I are total BFF. He and I came up together as salesmen. Great A gossip mm. for you right now. Randall, mm. CFO, mm. resigned. Nobody knows why. Everyone knows why. So Randall is nailing his secretary, right? And she's totally incompetent. Really? Here we go. We're talking blonde incompetent, oh, right? Oh, yeah. Like uh, 10 words a minute talking. Well, to be fair, blondes, brunettes, you know, there are a lot of dumb people out there. Right. They are women, right? Oh, wow! I didn't oh, say it! I didn't oh, say it! I said it! <laughs> and then, suddenly, for no reason, this bimbo blows the whistle on the whole thing just to be a bitch. Oh, wow! What did I tell you about the bleep button? Hey, um, what has two thumbs and hates Todd Packer? This guy. This is a classic classic scene. Uh, John Krasinski has some awesome moments in this episode. Again, this is why you love Jim, Kevin. This is where that crush came from. These sorts of scenes like that. Who hates Todd Packer? This guy. And this total instant like turn to a frown after saying that. The um, the stuff later on, you know, where he's goading on Michael to get him to say that's what she said. All this stuff in there is just so you know, <sighs> Jim was the man back in that day. Well, obviously, he seems like a very cool guy, and, and the, as Pam is shown throughout this season, she's very sympathetic, so that, you know, that allows you to want to root for them to be together. So, <laughs> yep, good moment, and uh, that's a great introduction for the character. We, we know everything we need to know about Todd Packer from that scene, and, you know, there's always going to be some guy like this in a sales-oriented culture at a company, uh, doesn't matter how much of a bore he is, if he can get the sales, it doesn't matter. And believe me, there's a guy like this in every single company with a sales force. Well, if Dwight can be the number one salesman, I mean, <laughs> I think there's room for Packer in there somewhere. You know, the thing about this, too, that's kind of interesting, we talked about the, the way that these things kind of developed, is that in this episode, we see very much they're still focusing on that idea of the camera being there. They're very aware mm-hmm. of the documentary crew. Um, when James P. Albini comes in later on, he talks directly into the camera. And right here, I mean, you can just tell that, that the presence of the camera is making Michael act in a way that he wouldn't probably be acting if the camera wasn't there. If, you know, he's saying those things, oh, well, you know, it's not all blondes. And there's a nice little framing shot there where when Todd says that, where you see Angela kind of in the yeah. corner. And, and Michael's just trying to be this guy where he's trying to cover all bases and everything. And, and it's still showing how much he loves Packer, but kind of backing away from a lot of the stuff that he's coming out with. So it's interesting. Again, n- nice to see them go back to that. Yeah, he laughs, but he... Yeah, well, I didn't say it, but I'm laughing. <laughs> exactly. It's like, whoa, whoa, well, hold on now. I told you about this guy. He's a pistol. 
get that bleep button ready. And another thing interesting in there, Kevin, a little bit of continuity, we get this idea that the CFO resigns over this sexual yeah. harassment scandal. So this is apparently, I guess, is where David Wallace steps in. Indeed. It leaves an opening. <laughs> well, speaking of character introductions, we get a good one here for Toby. Yeah, and uh, he's been there before, but this is the first time we learn a little bit more about his character as you said, uh, kind of the role he plays. I love that line. And I don't care. I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of down as being this Flenderson hater. And, you know, all in good fun. But he gives you some good... In, in this episode, he's sort of like Jesus, really. And we've said that before. <laughs> we've mentioned that before. But he's really... I mean, he's this wonderful guy, this very patient guy. He's very, you know, personable. And, and he runs the little seminar. And everybody laughs and everybody's enjoying it. And, and he talks to Dwight... <laughs> Very carefully and very kind of like deliberately and nice. And But, you know, Michael gets it. I love that line in here where Michael talks about Toby. Let's just go ahead and, and play this clip. Toby comes to Michael because of that CFO sexual harassment scandal and tells him that uh, he's going to have to step in and do something today. Toby is in HR, which technically means he works for corporate. So he's really not a part of our family. Also, he's divorced, so he's really not a part of his family. So the full story is that Randall resigned because of sexual harassment. So corporate asked me to do a five-minute review of the company's sexual harassment policy. No, no, Toby, no. It's really not a big deal, It Michael. is a big deal. It's a big deal! What are we supposed to do? Scrutinize every little thing we say and do all day? I mean, come on. And then corporate is going to send in a lawyer. What? Just to no. refresh you on our policy. What? He, no. Okay, what is a lawyer going to come in and tell us to not send out hilarious emails or not tell jokes? Maybe not some of them. Maybe not inappropriate ones. There is no such thing as an appropriate joke. That's why it's a joke. So I love that line in there beginning where he says he's not part of his family either. Uh, yeah, no, that's that very, very funny stuff. And, and, you know, if you think about it, I think Michael Scott is onto something with this. If no such thing as an appropriate joke, that's why it's a joke. And in some, way, in some ways, I actually think there's a lot of truth to that <laughs> statement, even though, of course, it's presented as being very ridiculous. Uh, Toby, as you mentioned, the rational, patient person here, not the typical whiner that we're used to. Michael demands his right to free speech in the workplace, his free free access to monkey sex videos and other inappropriate <laughs> comments. Now, you know, we kind of I kind of mentioned that this is sort of similar to diversity, Dan. Maybe that's why he's so paranoid here when Toby brings this up. Maybe he's a little nervous when he mentions lawyer and other things because he did sort of get in trouble almost for that stuff a little bit earlier in his uh, his career. The the thing that's kind of funny about this is, of course, that Toby says it's just a five-minute refresher. <laughs> you know, it's like something that could be done with in, in just a few minutes, and they could continue on just as they have been. But Michael Instead, takes... Michael spends all day running around trying to prevent it or, you know, come up with a good <laughs> dirty joke to counterweight or whatever instead of doing actual work. But that's what the office is really all about, isn't it? Yeah, and I like that, too. You bring that up. It's kind of funny that he, he, he wants to do some counter-programming. He wants to tell everyone what they'll be missing, so he has to come up with this great new dirty joke yeah. that he can tell, you know, to, to show 
had how much they would be missing if this didn't go through. Oh I my think... god, Michael, that's the funniest joke ever. Please <laughs> don't make them take away your email forwards and <laughs> that's the uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. The his, she's in. His dream reaction. And the thing that's funny about this too is of course that he's so deluded to think that everyone else will be up in arms and everyone will riot, <laughs> you know, and have a big <laughs> outburst because of this. And everyone loves his humor and comedy so much that they'll never, never stand for it. Well, speaking of that, Michael, hearing this comes out, tries to let everyone know what is at stake here. Do you realize what we're losing? Seriously. Email forwards. Exactly. Mwah. I hate them. You send me these filthy emails and you say forward them to 10 people or you'll have bad luck. Stanley, how about that hot picture you have by your desk? Centerfold in the Catholic schoolgirl's outfit? I mean, it is hot, it is sexy, and it turns him on, and I will admit, the best part of my morning is staring at it. But what, are we going to just take it away? That is my daughter. She goes to Catholic girls' school. I'm taking it down right now. Um, what about office romance? Office relationships are never a good idea. If you already have one, you should disclose it to HR. All relationships, uh, even a one-night stand. So classic Capra line right there, leaving you to speculate on who Phyllis could possibly have had a one-night stand with in the office. And that's what I meant there. That scene caps off with an awesome take by Jim. In there, you know, Michael trying to defend himself, sort of learning that no one really appreciates uh, what he's doing. There's that line where Michael goes off about his hot centerfold. That's uh, another classic <laughs> for Stanley. Maybe there's a reason why he has such animosity. It's one of the things why we lead to uh, his big outburst in season four. No, it was a good scene. It was funny to see, and this is, I guess, another one of those. They didn't quite get the stake of the show yet. He does the uh, seminar out in the main bullpen of the office instead of into the conference room, mm-hmm. and that seemed a little, you know, I don't know how many times we've seen that type of thing uh, in later seasons. Yeah, and I think that's a good idea. I mean, it actually kind of breaks things up a little bit, because you know, we kind of got into that rut of always going to the conference room as a default, and I think it's just easier, you know, I was like I said, it's five minutes. Why bother everybody moving him in there, moving him back? He just set up his little thing, gave his couple minutes speech. Everybody was clapping and happy and uh, didn't last too long. Now, Kevin, this next little bit here, uh, I just got an assortment of uh, three random gags. Normally, they I mean, they weren't really big enough to, to make full clips of, but I think these are definitely, when people think of this episode, these are some of the, the highlights, I think, that we have to talk about. Hey, um, we have to watch uh, Toby's video that he's uh, showing us in order to brainwatch us, and I was wondering if anybody would like to join in. It's going to be fun. Got microwave pizza? Jim? No, thanks. I'm good. That's what she said. Pam? Uh, my mother's coming. That's what she said. <clears throat> no, but... Okay. Well, suit yourself. Hey, Toby. Hey, right? You said that we could come to you if we had any questions. Sure. Where's the clitoris? On a website, it said at the crest of the labia. What does that mean? What does the female vagina look like? Technically, I am in human resources, and Dwight was asking about human anatomy. Um, I'm just sad the public school system failed him so badly. Don't ever let this little bitch drive you around town. We got lost for half an hour. I don't have any DUIs, so I can drive myself, but thanks. Where is Michael Snot sniffing some dude's thong? (laughs) 
probably. <laughs> that little delivery there, probably. You know, that's, we didn't have a clip because it's kind of a more of a visual joke, and uh, we talked about this before, and it might come up again in the episode at some point, but when they go out, for whatever reason, you know, Todd Packer has some DUIs, and so he asks, Mike, he asks Michael to assign him a driver for the day, and, and Ryan ends up having to escort him around. Now, that seems kind of like a real negative against the traveling salesman to not be able to drive himself anywhere. Right. But uh, but we go out there, we see his car with the, the license plate that's W-L-H-U-N-G. And uh, being a show of the time, Kevin, coming out in 2005, of course, the only thing on everyone's mind is what Ryan says, oh, you're a big William Hung fan. Uh, and, and people now, I'm imagining people in 2009 might be saying, who? Yes, good old William Hung, the hilarious joke contestant on one of the first seasons of American Idol, who took the world by storm with his horrible off-key singing, actually released several singles and about four or five albums, believe it or not, which uh, yeah. apparently you bought some of those, I guess. He was he was the original bad American Idol contestant, so, you know, he was a pioneer in his day. <laughs> but you're right, there was, you know, those were all good jokes. At first, of course, the first, that's what she said, it wasn't that funny, but it was a setup for later in the episode. And then, of course, Dwight's ridiculous. <laughs> the female vagina, like there's a, there's a male vagina. I, you know, it's kind of... And one thing I did really like, that you, you know, you don't have the clip here for, but that workplace video, mm-hmm. crossing the line, and the whole thing where he's watching it with the guys from the warehouse, and then, of course, you see Kevin goes in there, there either to watch the video or eat pizza or both. <laughs> and, yeah, you know, I thought that was hilarious, just the way that it was just so stiltly acted. And yeah. It looked like it looked like it was 10 years old and the whole thing, the natural redhead. And, and then we hear Daryl discovers that he uh, thinks that he's uh, banged this uh, woman or not. And so then, of course, we see Michael burst out, and then, of course, Jan's there. And I think that was a great way to sort of end that part of the episode mm-hmm. with, um, you know... Parents uh, are back. Cut, Mom's cut, back. Cut, cut, well, and it cuts a commercial. We earlier in the episode we had uh, the the crabs and lobster joke, and then that's <laughs> the steak, and it cuts to commercial. It was a very that part of this episode. I really liked how they constructed those breaks. Yeah, good organization. I agree that uh, the stuff in there is kind of funny. Like you said, he pops out, busts out. I'm not a huge fan of Daryl. You know, that was kind of a weird little thing in there where he claims to have slept with this chick, and they mentioned it in the commentary track. They said like, yeah, this is a video from like the '80s. So what did he sleep with the fifty-year-old or something? I mean, it's kind of this weird sort of uh, setup there. But be that as it may, I mean, is he embellishing? Is he lying? Is he mistaken? Is he confused? Whatever the case may be. <laughs> but yeah, as you said, Michael busts out and gets busted then with Jan and the lawyer there. And one thing I wanted to bring up because we, we've kind of talked about this before the evolution of the characters. Jan that we see in this episode is very no nonsense, very downplay her beauty as it were, very flat, like, unattractive hair, uh, very muted makeup. I mean, this is very different than the way they kind of sex her up in uh, the next few seasons with, uh, you know, obviously, of course, the the boob job episode being (laughs) the pinnacle of that whole transformation here. But here we still see that no-nonsense woman who's sort of exasperated, can't really deal with this guy. And and I miss her. (laughs) That leads into this whole thing where they're in there in the office, Michael feels like he's being persecuted. I guess in his mind, somehow this lawyer is being brought here to to get him in trouble. Uh, so he's really defensive about the lawyer, and they kind of talk about things. Uh, Michael's very 
antagonistic. He asks the guy, like, oh, I know a lot of lawyer jokes. And he's like, oh, I, I like lawyer jokes. Well, it's because you don't understand them. <laughs> and all this kind of stuff. And it's very, very antagonistic toward the guy. And um, that leads, though, to Michael finally kind of accepting a halting defeat. And he busts out and, and tells the office some news that he thinks will really just ruin their day. And unfortunately, again, it doesn't quite turn out the way he planned. Attention, everyone. Hello. Uh, yes, I just want you to know that uh, this is not my decision, but from here on out, we can no longer be friends. And when we talk about things here, we must only discuss uh, work-associated things. And uh, you can consider this my retirement from comedy. Does that include that's what she said? Mm-hmm. Yes. Wow, that is really hard. You really think you can go all day long? Well, you always left me satisfied and smiling, so... That's what she said! <laughs> Michael! <laughs> Michael! <laughs> Michael, please. There he is. Please. There he is. <laughs> Come on. You would have done the same. You just didn't think of it first. Michael, please. I, I really... That's not my sense of humor. Okay. <laughs> you know, that's even better. We have that. I know we play that in every episode of the, the show as our introduction. But the longer scene actually is, is even better than just that first part. That Michael's reaction to it, where he like kisses the audience goodbye, yes. and, and he's being dragged back into the office, and and, and Packer's like, yeah. Jim does that kind of like little fist pump that he got him, <laughs> got him in there and everything. So it's an awesome scene, very very iconic for season two, I think. You know, you got a hint there in Jan's voice that maybe she was thinking that. That she said, oh, I don't think about those things. It was like she was repressing something. I don't know. I mean, give no, giving what we know about the character later, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm overinterpreting, but I got a little sense there. But, yeah, well, that's a classic scene. Definitely, you know, it's one of those worth the price of admission just for this one scene alone. So he's dragged back into the office there and, and chided, and we hear that thing where he's like, oh, you just didn't think of it first. You're just jealous. <laughs> you didn't come up with it. And, I, of course, you know, I don't really need to point this out. The irony there that Michael thinks that this is going to make everyone sad, when in reality everyone would probably be very happy to never hear Michael's <laughs> jokes and very, you know, never hear his impressions and, and everything else. So he thinks it's a tragedy. They think it's a great, great development. Um, and, <laughs> unfortunately, it, uh, like I said, doesn't quite work out the way that he thinks. Now, as he's being grilled in the office there, he uh, gets his defense. Our old friend James P. Albini steps into the room to take his case. Jan, Mr. O'Malley, this is my lawyer, James P. Albini. I believe you may recognize his face from the billboards. He specializes in free speech issues. And motorcycle head injuries, workers' comp, and diet pill lawsuits. This guy does it all. Excuse me, I'm sorry. Michael, Mr. O'Malley is your lawyer. We have him on retainer to protect the company as well as upper-level management, such as yourself. So I'm not in trouble? I am so used to being the bad boy. I am so used to fighting corporate that I forget that I am corporate. Upper management. They hooked me up with an attorney to protect me. You can't be too careful about what you say. More money, more problems. Okay, well, let's get you out of here, James. Um, I think we're under an hour still. Oh. Yeah, but I did a lot of paperwork at home before I, I got We'll here. talk about it later. Thanks for coming in. <laughs> so awesome. <laughs> we hustled him out like that. It's just hilarious. <laughs> I think we're still under an hour. <laughs> we got to get you going now. 
<laughs> and that he thinks he's got the big guns. You know, you've seen his face on the billboards around town. Around Scranton. <laughs> the uh, the guy, yeah. It's like he's hired Johnny Cochran or something. <laughs> we uh, we talked about that before, how the, he, uh, Albini, talks directly into the camera there, huckstering yeah. his, uh, you know, as well as uh, diet pill-related issues. <laughs> <laughs> so classic stuff. Michael thinks he's in trouble. Hires his own lawyer. Comes to the obvious realization that he is the one being protected. That he's not getting in trouble. Hustles him out the door, and then has a big rumination there where he talks about being in management and the fact that uh, you know they value him so highly. <laughs> well, but that, in a way, this is this is, this is a good uh, bridge for this character because we're not sh- sort of sure about what his deal is and. We get the sense that he hasn't been a manager forever and ever and ever here. He's transitioning into this role. You know, I'm so used to being the bad boy. We we hear about his past as a salesman with Todd Packer in this episode. So this is a good episode to get some character background and kind of start to get into his head a little bit. True. Although I believe in the pilot, I'm pretty sure that he says something like he's been manager for seven or eight years or something. So. I don't know. See, season <laughs> one is, you know, that's like doesn't really count. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and especially the pilot because it's such a word for word remake of the original but we'll yeah. ignore that right now but yeah it's true he kind of realizes that uh, oh hey I gotta maybe be a little bit more responsible with things and that leads into the big sort of cl- uh, climax and we always talk about Kevin the one thing that everyone is sick of me talking about is Michael and his redemptive moments in the show where he's kind of a jerk but then at the end he pulls it back he pulls this pulls us back in and shows that he's a good guy. And uh, here, I actually like this because he, he he kind of redeems himself, but then right at the last moment, he fucks the whole thing up. And he is psyched because all these women are smoking hot, perfect tens, except for this one chick who looks a lot like... Uh, no, us? No, 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 no. That crosses the line. Excuse me? Not you. Kevin. Just unwarranted. Hostile work environment, Kevin. Well, Packer said it. No, you said it. He pointed. A point is not a say. Look, Kevin, we are a family here. And Phyllis is a valued member of that family, like a grandmother. I'm the same age as you, Michael. No, I don't know about that. We're the same but, high school. Well, I have a late birthday, and usually September is a cutoff point. <laughs> you know what? You just crossed the line, and you must be punished. They really got to you, didn't they? They didn't get to me. I got to them. I am still the same old Michael Scott. New and improved. You know what? I love Phyllis. You know what else? I think she is gorgeous. I think she is an incredibly, incredibly attractive person. Come here. Come here, Chris. Come on. Michael, come on. You don't have to worry. I'm not that. I'm not. I'm not worried. To HR. You know what? The only thing I am worried about is getting a boner. Good work today, everybody. <laughs> of course, this is the capper, the parental warning line right there, as we talked about. Uh, it's just an awesome way, like you say, the, the, the same old, same old new and improved Michael Scott. Yeah, they didn't get to me. I, I got to them. <laughs> uh, such delusions couple of grandeur. A couple things worth checking out if you go back to that scene. If you watch Meredith, looking at Todd Packer telling those jokes, she is drooling over Packer, I think, in this, <laughs> this scene. She's just looking at him like he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. It's just pretty twisted and sick. 
But it, I, I like how they use Packer in this scene where he you know, says, they really got to you, didn't they? I think that that's the kind of dynamic that's good for this Michael Scott uh, character to have somebody who's, who's like a Todd Packer kind of getting at him like that. They've used Dwight in some ways like that um, to be that kind of voice in, in later episodes, but I, I miss Packer in that respect. Well, it definitely makes Michael seem less of an ass when you put him next to somebody like Packer. Uh, yeah. You know, it's kind of funny, though. Another thing in there that's interesting is that he totally pusses out when he calls Packer on that, but then he changes it up and says, no, 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 I mean, I meant Kevin. <laughs> you know, Kevin's the one that was inappropriate, and he yells at Kevin, sends him to the corner. <laughs> oh, you mean my uh, my desk? <laughs> Yes, well, I have a lot of work to do anyway. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they didn't get to me, like I said. I, I got to them. And uh, so Michael has a nice little kind of warm moment there. He thinks he did a great job. Uh, of course, everyone else is left hanging with that <laughs> getting the boner line, classic delivery there. And all that's really left of this plot line is for Michael to just kind of sort of ruminate about what he's learned today. Times have changed a little. And even though we're still a family here at Dunder Mifflin, families grow. And at some point, the daddy can't take a bath with the kids anymore. I am upper management, and it would be inappropriate for me to take a bath with Pam as much as I might want to. He said what? (laughs) You talked before about ending off in these great lines, and there's, again, right when she says that, fade to black. So kind of a great... Great little capper line on the episode. And the thing about that is with Pam there, you might not really get that full impact of that scene, but it's it played out in the deleted scenes. I don't know if you watched that, Kevin. They have this really extended sequence in there where Michael's trying to make a point at the uh, at the seminar and keeps trying to say, like, suppose Pam and I were dating. And she, like, just yes. refuses. No, <laughs> I'm not. I'm engaged. Well, what if Roy was dead? No, I wouldn't go out with you. <laughs> All these things. Let's see what you've done. You've killed Pam and Roy. Yes. So uh, I think that was building up this little more uh, reason for her disgust, perhaps. But still, I guess she doesn't want to have that picture of Michael imagining her in a bath. Well, in a very classic construction here, where Michael, you know, pontificates at the end of the episode, and then it, the, the capper there with with Pam sort of serves as the tag in a way, even though it's only one a second or something. <laughs> Exactly. So there you go, the Michael plotline. Now, all we have really left is what I'm calling the Jim and Pam plotline. But as you mentioned earlier, very small. I mean, as far as plotlines go, very minor stuff. Um, Pam, well, I'll let her explain. I'm really excited to meet your mom. You are? My mom is coming in to visit. And she lives like two hours away, and she doesn't have a cell phone, which is cool because it's kind of adding some suspense to my day. And I keep looking over at the door, hoping she'll walk in. I'm excited to show her around. She really wants to meet everybody. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. Good, because I have a lot of questions. Oh, really? Yeah. As a child, did Pam show any traits that would hint towards her future career as a receptionist? Pam. Um, I just wanted to say that just my mom's coming in today. Mmm, elf. <laughs> Thanks, Kevin. Usually the day we talk about sexual harassment is the day that everyone harasses me as a joke. She's coming in today, and maybe just don't joke around about that stuff in front of her. Great point. Thank you. In fact, uh, basic rule of thumb, let's just act every day like Pam's mom's coming in. (laughs) Everybody kind of chuckles at that line. Um, 
you know, this is a Toby nice, easygoing little seminar there. Uh, so some interesting stuff. I mean, Pam's mom's coming in. Um, it, it's kind of strange a little bit to me, especially after season five and sort of the dissatisfaction that we've seen out of Pam in the last couple seasons where she doesn't seem embarrassed about her job. You know, she wants to show her around. She's, you know, Jim kind of jokes with her about showing any traits as a receptionist and that kind of stuff. And, you know, a little playful banter. She doesn't get bothered by it, doesn't really get upset about it. Well, but that's also five years ago. Right. So she's changed. She's going to grow up. And especially after starting a relationship with Jim, she may want to make some changes in her life. So, uh, you know, you can change. Yeah, I mean, I'd say I'm not, I'm not doubting it or saying it's unrealistic, but I just uh, I sort of miss... I just kind of miss this. I miss the dynamic that we had back in this season. Mom, you know, Pam's kind of, you know, this is a little running gag where she sort of looks up every time somebody comes in the door and is wondering when Mom's going to show up. And lo and behold, Mom does finally arrive. Um, hello. <laughs> finally made it. Hello. I love my mom. Okay, that's probably the most obvious statement ever. This is where I used to keep my computer. Oh, right, I, I remember it. with the picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but I uh, I switched stuff around because I actually needed, like, more room for organization. So sure. This is, like, um... I think you need organization. <gasps> oh, hey. there he is. Hey, handsome. You look great. Oh, thank you. So, we ready for dinner? Well, you know, actually, I kind of need to stall a bit. But it's okay because I am very used to killing time. Okay, I'm gonna go wait in the parking lot. And uh, what kind of tunes you want for the ride? Little, uh, classical, little oldies? Oh, anything is fine. <laughs> All right, we'll see ya. <laughs> so, which one is Jim? Um. And as we said, there you go. There's that. That's the whole thing. That's the whole capper. Uh, this episode, we used to just get those little teeny crumbs of jam <laughs> relationship building, and it kept us going. It's what kept the fanaticism there and us building it up and hoping for more each and every week. And it might just be that little tiny thing where he mentioned, you know, she mentions him, and he knows that she's talking about him outside of work. So, ah. <sighs> well, it's funny, the actress who plays Pam's mom is only 16 years older than the. Uh... <laughs> Fisher, well, so that's possible. Is she, is, is she, uh, I guess, but <laughs> that's why she looks a little youthful. That is why. Well, and I agree with Kevin. Milf material all the way. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> so yeah, good, good little jam plot line. Well, let's talk a little bit about the deleted scenes. I don't have any audio clips, but uh, they certainly made it sound like in the commentary there was a lot more deleted scenes than actually did end up on the disc. There's this really weird plot line that they seem to have going in this episode where Dwight is, like, afraid of rat poison on soda cans. It's yeah. really strange. And I don't know, you know, I, I guess I know they were trying to just pack every episode with as much as they could, but uh, just really weird. Like, he tries to stop Jim from drinking a soda, and then he drinks it anyway, and then he they show him, like, rinsing off in the bubbler, you know, the water fountain, whatever. It, really strange. Well, that was, the, the water fountain actually was kind of funny. I, I almost took it as, you know, he read something on the, on the internet about this, and that maybe Jim had planted that information <laughs> on the internet somehow, because Jim had that, you know, smug look as he kept on, you know, drinking a soda. <laughs> So I thought that was kind of funny. Well, I think you're taking maybe a little too far with that. I think that Jim just realizes, like most people, that whatever, you know, Dwight's just Mr. Conspiracy kind of kook. Uh, like you said, I read it on the Internet. Jim doesn't care, and uh, just because it just kind of shows more of 
Dwight's odd character, but definitely was a, a really kind of extraneous thing in this episode that really deserved to be cut. There's also a lot of extra stuff that we got cut out, uh, a minute or two at least, of Michael going off on Toby. <laughs> Just this rant on Toby, um, how he's not really a man because his wife pays him alimony because she makes more money than he does. Uh, you know, he's a weird loner. Although he wouldn't mind. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Toby's a girl's name. Toby's the devil. All this stuff. Um, I think it was Steve Carell, you know, hey, sit down for a few minutes and, uh, you know, <laughs> improvise some stuff about Toby. Okay, go. Cool. Yeah. There, there's some cute stuff in there with Jim and Pam, though, talking about... Uh, Pam walks up and says, you know, sometimes I send you those I am uh, emoticons of, you know, like a, a, a lipstick face, and I, I'm sorry, I think that might be sexual harassment. And Jim talks about how he hired the angry face as his lawyer and everything. So it's a nice, yeah. cute little moment, though, that, uh, you know, it would have been nice to see in the episode, maybe. But uh, I think the way it played out with that just little teeny little bit of hope that he gets at the end, much more poignant yeah, and I think that, that the emoticon thing might have been a little too cute. And sometimes, again, we've talked about that in, in Season 5, sometimes too cute can be too much. So I agree. <laughs> Good thing to cut out. All right, just enough. All right, well, that's going to do it for us for those two plot lines. Now, before we move on to our next few segments, Kevin, we have to take a break here and uh, talk just for a little bit about our show sponsors. Uh, as before, we are sponsored this month by... Audible.com, and as you may have noticed, that's what she said, not exactly cranking out at a fever pace. Uh, very difficult for me to get motivated during summer vacation. It also doesn't help the fact that we have no new episodes coming out, so it makes it really easy to kind of slide into that lazy summer feel. If you are looking for other audio entertainment, if the iTunes podcast selections just aren't cutting it for you, uh, head on over to audible.com slash she said and uh, get your free trial two-week audiobook credit there. You get one book credit to use with whatever you want. Now, some things are longer than others. So if it's a shorter book, that would be one credit. Longer books might be two, three credits. Um, so just keep that in mind. If you go and go through the trial, you get that, that free one book credit. Support all major players, Blackberries, iPhones, you know, Zunes, iTunes, whatever you got. They support it. Very wide range of new releases and classical stuff. So go ahead and check them out if you can. Like I said, go to audible.com slash she said to sign up for your free 14-day trial of that service. We also have a new sponsor this week, Kevin. See what you're missing only on Stars HD. With over 200 HD movies a month, you'll see so much more. You can watch Hancock, the superhero everybody loves to hate. John Hancock is the most hated person in Los Angeles, yet he's saving the world whether we like it or not. Hancock just debuted on Saturday, June 20th, and it's now available on demand through August 30th. For the hottest movies at your fingertips, check out stars.com. That's S-T-A-R-Z dot com. Stars, are you ready? And, Kevin, one thing I have to mention is that, believe it or not, I finally signed up this past week for my Netflix trial through netflix.com slash TWSS. And one of the kind of interesting things on here, since we have stars, is that Stars has a pretty good little selection of films that you can watch 
instantly on your PC, and I have been using that watch instantly feature nonstop for the last week on my Xbox 360, on my HDTV. Very convenient, uh, really cool stuff. You go to the Netflix website, you click on that, you can watch any of those big movies, any, you know, thousands of TV shows, every four seasons, all four seasons of The Office, the two seasons of The British Office, just tons and tons and tons of stuff that you can see. So a lot of interconnectivity here for your entertainment dollars. So if you're bored, again, check out stars.com or try that Netflix trial. It's uh, very, very user-friendly, very convenient. So again, Netflix, that's www.netflix.com slash TWSS. And in addition to all the thousands of instant watch titles, they have over 100,000 DVD titles to choose from with plans starting at $4.99 per month. Keep those movies as long as you want with no late fees ever. Free shipping both ways. Cancel anytime. Uh, really a great service, Matt. I'm surprised it took you this long <laughs> to get onto Netflix. Well, you know what, though? That's the thing, though, Kevin, because what really held me back was that idea that it was a DVD mail-in service. And I know myself, a lot of times I'm at the video store, you know, I can't commit. I don't know what movie I want to watch. I don't want to mess with the mailing back and forth. So... I mean, really, the instant watch thing has been what I'm loving about this. And I, I was a big Hulu user for a while, but that's really limited, you know, limited content. Usually the studios cap it at a certain number of episodes. Uh, the Netflix instant watch thing is just great, especially if you have a Netflix-capable Blu-ray player or an Xbox 360, and I believe it's on P uh, PlayStation 3 as well. It's just so convenient. You go to the website, you know, pick what things you want, click on Add to My Watch Instantly Queue, Turn on your Xbox, and bam, there it is. You can watch full seasons of a lot of big popular shows, you know, Law & Order, 30 Rock, Office. I mean, it, British shows and, and movies. You know, like I said, Hancock, the star stuff is on there. Uh, it's very convenient, and I don't have to worry about mailing things back or getting, you know, the disc I want or whatever. It's, it's there at any time. And I actually, Kevin, preparing for this episode, I watched... Sexual harassment through my Netflix watch instantly in HD. I'll have you know there are certain selections of films and TV shows that are also streaming to you in HD. So check that out. Very, very convenient service, especially if you're a shut-in like me <laughs> who doesn't have a job until September 1st. So I'm a director. Which on a film set is the highest title there is. Do you know anything about film? I know everything about film. I've seen over 240 of them. Congratulations. Well, Kevin, the last time on this show, we talked about the um, hangover in this segment, Ed Helms' big sort of breakout role in that movie still continues to do spectacularly well for the budget it, that it costs to produce, so very successful comedy. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about Another office-related film that we've been tracking for a long, long time, it seems like. I swear it's been a, at least a year since I've been making little mentions of this film. And the movie we're talking about is Away We Go. The film was directed by Sam Mendes, who's probably most noted for his uh, film American Beauty. It's written by Dave Eggers and his wife, Vendela Vida. Dave Eggers, I'm a big fan of his, from McSweeney's, from heartbreaking work of Staggering Genius. Some of his other novels... Uh, film stars, of course, our boy John Krasinski and SNL alum Maya Rudolph. And, uh, well, story of, you know, a couple 30-somethings who are trying to find their way in the world. And let me just roll that trailer video here, introduce the story. What are we 
grow up. What do you mean? I mean, we're 34. 33? We don't even have his basic stuff figured out. We're not screw-ups. We have a cardboard window. Okay, we have news. We're leaving in June. Baby's due in July to Antwerp in Belgium. You're moving 3,000 miles away from your grandchild. Well, I think it's more than 3,000, isn't it, Cherry? Oh, I think so. You know, we don't have to stay here. Well, where do we go? We agree we need to be near someone we know, so we could go anywhere we want. Wow. Itinerary? I think I'll put the inside of your jacket. Many a road, you know. See? I've been working on. Ah! Oh, Leo! You're so fat! Oh, good. I was almost out. Does this mean you guys will finally get married? I almost left Lowell about a dozen times. Kids don't know that. I have been quietly. I mean, what if something happens to one of us and just makes us go crazy? All we can do is be good for this one baby. We don't have control over much else. And my I love my babies. Why would I want to push them away from me? As the days keep turning into night. I'm getting strong. Sweetheart, listen to your I'll always love you. Even if it takes you months to lose this weight. Even if you're enormous. You go ahead and write that in the stone. about those ears. He looks like a trophy. I just don't think we should be talking about it right in front of the children. Oh, please. Bert, it's just white noise to them. Listen, watch this. Taylor. 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 <laughs> I keep going on and on. Uh, so there you go. You can hear right at the end there a big uh, kind of supporting actress part by Allison Janney, Jim Gaffigan. Uh, and a few other people in there. The, the, really, the, the reason I want to talk about this, Kevin, I saw this over the 4th of July weekend, and it's still being rolled out, as far as I can tell, in pretty limited release in different places. And originally, when it first came out, I mean, it was getting a lot of negative reviews from a lot of the supposed, you know, quote-unquote, big critics out there who um, kind of toured a new one. And I was really kind of disturbed. I don't know. I'm sure you listened to this, but... I was actually really disturbed by uh, Maddie Robinson's just ridiculous hyperbolic slam of this film on film spotting. Um, it just went so far overboard, and I really don't get it at all. To me, this is a very, very wonderful comedy. I mean, it's, it's a very enjoyable film. And if you think about, and if you're someone that likes these kind of indie comedies, um, you know, some people are comparing it to Juno, but I don't think it has anything to do with that film, aside from there being two people that are pregnant in the films. Um, you know, basically, this is a story, and maybe it's because I'm relating to this. I, you know, I'm in my 30s. We have this young couple kind of trying to figure out where they belong. Their parents are moving away, and, and they find themselves living in a city where they have no friends. So they go on a quest to kind of look at these different places around the country where to live, and they visit these different couples, and you see different pictures of parents. So, you know, you have Alice and Janie, this really kind of obnoxious sort of parent who talks all this crap in front of her kids and this and that. Uh, they go to different places. They go to Madison 
you know, where I went to college, of course, really stereotypical sort of hippie, dippy woman and her husband there talking about how they don't believe in strollers. Uh, they go to Quebec, and there's a really kind of heartfelt scene there. They go to his brother in uh, in Miami and kind of see that family. And, and so, you know, they're trying to find their place in the world. And it's, it's very kind of light. It's a little, it's an adult sort of comedy. It's not vulgar at all. Not, when I say adult comedy, not like The Hangover was an adult comedy. I mean, it's not like mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. But um, I was talking to uh, my friend that I was seeing this with at the time. And, you know, the last time we talked about The Hangover, I said that I thought this could be like the Andy Bernard movie. This script, actually, this could have been the Jim and Pam movie. Like if The Office went off the air or something and they came. It's almost very similar. You have very similar kind of characters. Krasinski, besides having this really big beard and kind of obnoxious spectacles, really similar kind of guy, nice guy, that Jim kind of character. Maya Rudolph really, again, I I haven't really ever seen her in much of anything except for some Saturday Night Live skits and... uh, Idiocracy, where she mm-hmm. <laughs> plays a really kind of cartoonish hooker. So I, I was a little yeah. bit surprised here by her range in the film. Very, very good performance. Uh, you know, it's very heartfelt. One of the things that uh, some of the critics were talking about, oh, it's very stereotypical. Oh, it's not realistic. Um, you know, Ad, Adam and Maddie were talking about, oh, they don't, it, it didn't earn its serious moments. It's not, it's not a dramedy. I mean, it's, it's, it's there. It's, it's a alternative comedy uh, it's not, you know, Mendes isn't trying to make a point about things, I don't think. He's not really trying to hit you over the head with anything. It's just a very enjoyable experience. And the funny thing is, when I went back and looked at Rotten Tomatoes today, uh, as it's rolled out more and more and more cities, it's actually up to 67%, which is very, uh, very respectable, fresh sort of rating on that yeah. site. So definitely worth seeing if you haven't seen it, if it's playing in your area. If, you know, you're going to look for it on Netflix or whatever down the road, uh, definitely a must-see if you're a fan of Jim or a fan of, you know, John Krasinski and his character. Uh, really wonderful time. I think uh, I think you'll enjoy it. So, now let me ask you, did, did Krasinski show anything here that we haven't seen on The Office in terms of uh, getting emotional or having a big speech or anything that would say this is a movie star in the making? Well, to be honest with you, not really. I mean, this is Jim. It's Jim with a beard and Jim with glasses. And if you're cool with that, you know, like I said, I was cool with that. That's what I expect out of John Krasinski. I'm not expecting him to do Shakespeare or um, be some kind of crazy maniac to rain, you know, to show his range or anything. He's got a comfortable uh-huh. range, and he's right in there with his six expressions. He's got them all working. <laughs> Very charming. You know, there's some funny stuff in here. You can, like I said, you can really see him being, uh, this could be Jim in this role. And if, you know, like I said, if you like The Office, you like Jim, I think you're going to like this film. All right, let me ask you one more question. You talked about Juno. Of course, there is a pregnancy storyline that's similar, but also the music in that trailer, very Juno-esque. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how, was there, was there, was there the typical indie soundtrack playing over all these little vignettes and well, traveling montages? Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. And I don't want to go back to talking about Juno, because every indie comedy does that. Uh, from, you know, Rushmore to whatever kind of thing you can think of, always has kind of the quirky indie sort of soundtrack. Most of the music is by Alexi Murdoch here, and you can go to iTunes or, you know, check out some of the samples of the song if you want. I I actually liked it. I I, I like that sound. And so, to me, it worked. If you're someone that really kind of hates that, if you are more into the sort of Fairly Brothers or, uh, 
you know, it's the Apatow kind of stuff or Step Brothers, that kind of comedy. I mean, it's it's not that same kind of comedy. You know, it's very low key. There are some drum, some dramatic moments. You know, it, but it's what you expect. All right, away we go in theaters as we speak. Uh, any messages? Yeah, just a fact. Oh, and this is from corporate. How many times have I told you that there's a special filing cabinet for things from corporate? Yeah. Oh, the waste paper basket. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't uh, want to get it? You put it in the garbage can that was a special filing cabinet. Yeah, uh, that was a joke. Okay, well, if you follow Rain Wilson's Twitter account or if you look at the other Office news sites, you may already know this, but season six of The Office has gone into production. Uh, I know I saw that the other day. Wilson tweeted about the fact that they're doing the table read in between his 3,000 other pointless... <laughs> Non-office-related tweets, uh, I gotta say. I, I'm really riding the fence on that, Kevin Weather, to, to unfollow him, I have to say. Well, you don't have to read every single word. But, yeah, that's good to know. Season 6, table read in late July, which means they'll be filming here any day, and uh, I'll probably start getting those rumors about those episodes uh, on your favorite spoiler website. Well, know. we do know at least the, we do at least know the title of the first episode, apparently called Gossip. Um, written by Paul Lieberstein and supposedly claiming it's directed by Paul Lieberstein as well. So it's a Toby Fest, apparently. All right. Speaking of incestuous creative teams, there are new web... There are new webisodes coming this fall. The series is written by Nate Fetterman and Jonathan Hughes and directed by Mindy Kaling, which is pretty interesting. I think this is her first directing gig. And the series is titled Subtle Sexuality. Hmm. So, <laughs> little tie subtle in there. Sexuality. I don't know about anything about Kelly Kapoor that is subtle, but maybe we'll <laughs> learn more with well, two episodes this fall. Just remember, just because she's directing it doesn't mean she'll be in it, as we learned with B.J. Novak the last time in Blackmail. Uh, Kevin, we talked about this last episode. Same guys, Nate Fetterman, Jonathan Hughes, the guys that we loved on Blackmail, the guys we loved on The Outburst. I was hoping to see them actually get into writing more regular season episodes, and I'm hoping this isn't a sign that they are kind of relegated to the webisode roles, but they've been doing such a good job with them. I'm glad to see them returning to these next series. Indeed. All right, well, uh, there's a lot of Emmy news that's coming out here, Kevin, and I almost hate to go into this because we're going to talk about 10 minutes probably on this, and the result is that none of these people are going to (laughs) win. I don't think when the when the voting comes down, but let's just briefly go over this a little bit. The main office member, and there are some below the line uh, nominations. I don't, you know, I don't want to get into that too much here. But the main nominations, the office, of course, is nominated for best comedy. Uh, Rain Wilson was nominated for best supporting comedic actor, and Steve Carell nominated for best comedic actor. Uh, the episodes that were submitted, and I want to talk about this and see what you think about this stuff. Um, mm-hmm. The, the series gets to submit six episodes in three pairings that are randomly distributed to voters. So the episodes that were submitted were Michael Scott Paper Company, uh, Broke, Golden Ticket, Cafe Disco, and Stress Relief. Now, Kevin, two-parter. do you notice something as far as where in the season those all episodes all aired? 
Yeah, towards the middle to the end of the season, that's for sure. <laughs> so that goes right in along with what you and I were kind of talking about here, that the first part of the season, very iffy, uh, you know, kind of kind of shaky in season five, and it really ended strong. And I think that shows there what episodes they're picking. Now, what do you think about those as the official selection? Well, I went on record saying I actually liked Stress Relief. I know that was a controversial choice. Uh, I think that that plays well with the Emmy voters who may be more casual uh, fans of the show. Of course, Michael Scott, Paper Company, and Broke, and even Cafe Disco I would put as very strong episodes. Golden Ticket may be just a step below that. So yeah. I think those are good choices. I think the Michael you know, Scott... Pic- company Picnic might have been a more dramatic choice, uh, but if they're going for comedy, it may be all right. Yeah, that wasn't the funniest. I definitely think these other ones were a little bit better. I mean, the the pairing of Michael Scott Paper Company and Broke, I think that is the strongest pairing. Um, I didn't really like Stress Relief all that much, and I it took me a while to warm up to Cafe Disco. Uh, so that one's, you know, those other ones are a little, little more worrying to me. Now, Steve Carell put forth Broke as his episode. Cause the actual actors and actresses can only submit one episode. Uh, so that's when he submitted, and that's the one that you and I loved and that we thought should have been the season finale. So yep. hopefully that will score some points for him. Rain Wilson, on the other hand, submitted Heavy Competition as his episode, and another one that we really liked, that uh, battle there for the uh, the contract between Michael and Dwight, so some funny stuff in there as well. A little over-the-top stuff there for Rain Wilson. Maybe that will get him noticed this year. Well, that's the thing. I mean, that's my when I look at the, the list of nominees, the reason why people say that Jenna Fisher doesn't get nominated, why Jim, why John Krasinski doesn't get nominated, is that they're just too subtle. Uh, the Emmy voters they they apparently like their comedians big and bold and cartoonish. So Michael and Dwight, the two biggest cartoonish characters from the show, of course, to me that makes makes a lot of sense that they would get the noms. Um, now they're up against some other tough competitors in those categories and uh kevin actually have the the vegas odds here for the emmy voting according to the beted.com site uh 30 rock is in the lead for winning best comedy as it did the last year Uh, Mm -hmm. the office though is in second place in the odds so who knows um carell ranks second behind alec baldwin and Mm -hmm. wilson ranks third the Vegas odds, Kevin, the Vegas odds are giving that to Neil Patrick Harris with Tracy yeah, Morgan third, in second. Yeah, I'll take Neil Patrick Harris, but Tracy Morgan, I don't know. Mm, I, gotta I, don't, go on I, don't know I don't know that the 30 Rock Halo can be that big. Oh, but you know what, though? Tracy Morgan is so instrumental to that show. I guess you could argue that Neil Patrick Harris is instrumental in his show as well. Maybe I'm just showing my biases. I try, I've tried many times to get into How I Met Your Mother, and I just cannot stand that show. I think that he's so overrated. <laughs> I think that he's so overrated on that show as, as a, a character, so I I have nothing but uh, disdain for him. I think that Tracy Morgan is very, very integral to the success of 30 Rock. I, I think he's much more integral than Jack McBrayer, for example. Well, if you whatever you just said, and just just make it the opposite. I completely agree. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Not a well, fan of Thirty Rock. All right. Well, 
uh, we'll see uh, when the the uh, Emmys come along. We still have you still have time to place those bets with the Las Vegas, you know, and it's a long shot, but you know, <laughs> maybe bet one for the home team here. All right, uh, Ed Helms' next film, according to Variety, he will follow The Hangover with Cedar Rapids, an Alexander Payne-produced comedy to be directed by Miguel Arteta. Shooting will begin on October when Helms has a hiatus from The Office. Helms will, believe it or not, play a sad sack insurance agent who goes to an insurance. In, in. Helms will, believe it or not, play a sad sack insurance agent who goes to an industry convention to try to save the jobs of his colleagues. The script was written by Phil Johnston, who developed it with Helms. Uh, Ed Helms will be appearing. He will be appearing also in uh, August in a film called The Goods, starring mm-hmm. Jeremy Piven. He plays kind of a, a villain in that movie. I have a forty-four dollar so, haircut. Yeah. He might have seen that clip. Uh, yeah. So interesting stuff there. Yeah, that Cedar Rapids role does not sound very far outside of the Annie Bernard realm either. But uh, that's just the way we like them, Kevin, in their comfortable niche. Well, the office bobbleheads are on their way. We've talked about this before, but NBC is slowly rolling out the entire line of office character bobbleheads. Check NBC.com slash the underscore office slash bobbleheads for pictures and ordering info. And they have pictures of all of them. And I swear to God, there is one for every single character on the show. Except I didn't see it. There, I, there wasn't one for Jan, as far as I can tell. But not match. N- well, not the warehouse guys, but <laughs> Daryl is represented. Um, so pretty much everyone else, uh, some of them are a little better looking than others, I have to say. But, uh, man, it's just, to me that's insane. My collector nerd side wants to own every one of those, Kevin. But my realistic rational side thinks, hmm, 15 office bobbleheads with <laughs> an average price of $20 a piece. I, I don't know if that's going to fly, but they look pretty neat. So if you haven't seen them yet, go on and check those out. Well, when they come out with the Todd Packer bobblehead, I will buy one. Day one. <laughs> All right, well, some changes at NBC. Ben Silverman is leaving, according to the Christian Science Monitor. Two years after he was promoted to co-chairman of NBC Entertainment and Universal Media Studios, relative youngster and avowed drug addict, Ben <laughs> Silverman is departing to take a job with the internet company IAC. Silverman, who formerly headed up an independent firm called Reveille, was recruited in 2007 to help rejuvenate the NBC lineup, when he, which was slumping in the ratings. So Reveille, of course, the company that produces The Office. Yes, he's an executive producer for The Office. Uh, his project, IAC, is to be the industry's first global platform that connects advertisers, distributors, and content creators early on in the development process, enabling advertisers to be a partner in campaigns and content creation. Now, in other words, Silverman was fired, and he's landing someplace random. And, yeah, and the reason why we can talk about that, because other people have speculated this is a very big shameful thing, because under his tenure, NBC, all the shows that he really produced under him have been flops. Uh, Knight Rider, some other ones. I mean, Catherine Kim was his big baby. I know that's kind of grown a little bit, but not really a reading no. hit with a lot of people. Uh, I'm more worried about that IEC thing and what it, what it means, because we've talked about that over the years as far as The Office being so full of product placements. And he's basically leaving us to go into a company that's going to get products in the shows as early as possible in the production schedule. So... Yeah, uh, I, I, whatever. <laughs> I have no, I don't, I, 
I'm interested to see what the next NBC exec will bring to the table. All right, well, uh, Variety apparently named some people to watch recently. Uh, Ellie Kemper, otherwise known as Aaron the Secretary, has been listed as a comic to watch, uh, referencing her work on The Office, which, to me, she's still too much of a straight man, I think, to, to really get any comedic chops out of that. Uh, her, of course, blowjob viral video and upcoming film work, including Get Him to the Greek with Jonah Hill and Russell Brand, 2010 summer tentpole. Um, I'm still kind of on the fence with her as a character on The Office. I mean, it's interesting to have some new blood. I'm interested in seeing what they do with her. I almost want her to be more of a Creed character, though, Kevin. I don't know if I really want her really getting a beefed-up part in the show. Uh, we'll see. She's, you know, she's going to be in those uh, webisodes that uh, are coming out, so maybe we'll see her shine there. And Variety also named Mindy Kaling as a writer to watch, and among other things, she is pitching her first screenplay called The Low Self-Esteem of Lizzie Gillespie. It's a romantic comedy about a female underdog, which she co-wrote with seasoned scribe and office colleague Brent Forrester. Now, of course, she had a big development deal, of course, go through with NBC, so she's got a lot of irons in the fire, I guess. Um, you know, if, if that takes off, that might be the last we see of Kelly Kapoor. Well, if you can't get enough of our brilliant insights, follow Kevin and myself on Twitter, twitter.com slash summermat and twitter.com slash Kevin Crossman if you want to just get our show podcast-related info. Otherwise, you know, if you don't want to see Kevin's pictures of whales or his political views on gay marriage and if you don't want to see what kind of uh, food I'm having for lunch you can just follow <laughs> twitter.com slash TWSS podcast alright let's talk about some cast blogs Jenna Fisher had some very interesting news and uh, I'll let it flow into the end of this post I thought this was kind of interesting and very revealing Jenna Fisher and her blog on MySpace is always very revealing I cannot believe I'm about to say this. I'm starting to like cardio. Here's what I like. I know I no longer feel like I'm dying after I've been on the elliptical machine after 10 minutes. I can do 30 minutes with no problem. Number two, I like sweating. Mm. Number three, I like waking up with more energy. This I cannot believe. I always thought that this was total bullshit. In fact, when fitness people would tell me that working out would give me more energy, I would punch them in the face. <laughs> what can I say? It's actually true. And number four, I think I can almost see my ab muscles. I also think my skin looks rosier, but maybe that second one is an engagement glow. So mm. yes, Jenna Fisher got engaged. She's off the market. Hearts are broken. Wow, that was quick. <laughs> quick turnover from old James Gunn there. Yeah. So who's the Something lucky fella? I don't know. Somebody you never heard of. Some lucky <laughs> bastard. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Shrewd Space, of course, uh, Dwight, quote-unquote, wrote another uh, summertime entry here at NBC.com. He says, I used to hold invasive species in high regard. They're naturally superior, and so they deserve whatever they take over. But now that invasive species are running rampant on Shrewd Farms, I've changed my tune because some irresponsible traveler just had to have their goat gout weed. <laughs> It's become a nuisance in the American Northeast. And on my farm, as everyone knows, the only way to fight an invasive species is with another invasive species. 
So I introduced Kudzu, an Asian ivy that is notorious for its rapid growth, camouflaging abilities, and rich leafy scent to shrewd farms with hopes that it would strangle the goutweed. It did! However, the kudzu became difficult to control, attacking our beet crops even more furiously than the goutweed. Plus, it grew over a couple of scarecrows, our chicken coop, the Mannheim gravestones, and Moses' favorite outhouse. Kudzu days are numbered because soon I will demonstrate my superiority over our ecosystem. To kill the kudzu, I'm using an old Mannheim weapon that dates back to the 60s, the herbicide nitrofen mixed with a little Agent Orange. After it does the trick and kills everything in its path, it will prove that I, Dwight, Kray, Dwight K. Schrute, am the most invasive species of all. So there you go. Can you imagine this guy wondering where the clitoris is? I, I can't. <laughs> I gotta say that I'm the most invasive species of all. That's so funny. <laughs> there are certain things a boss does not share with his employees. His salary, his bed, and I am not going to tell them that I'll be reading their emails. I gotta erase a lot of stuff. Just so you know, if you have any sensitive emails, they need to be deleted immediately. I know. A lot of stuff. Okay, uh, email from the Apple book in regards to our Emmy discussion. Kevin, on the blog, I believe you thought that Jenna Fisher was robbed for her yes. nomination this year. And uh, the Apple book said, Kevin, could you really say that the Pam's dad plotline went anywhere or really touched anyone? I personally think it was a waste of time and it was just to create some sort of tension. Although I still do think that she was robbed. Her stuff in the MSPC plotline was amazing. So I already had my say about that. I, I'm never surprised when these two don't get nominated because they're just too subtle. Subtlety doesn't play in the sticks. Well, I thought that that scene in uh, with Pam's dad, I thought that was a big enough scene that could have maybe gotten her somewhere. And I think that that did go somewhere and was touching. But, hey, just call me a hopeful romantic. <laughs> But uh, anyway, uh, we also heard from Rick Duran, uh, my partner in crime over at thefratpack.com. Krasinski and Fisher didn't have strong years, but I seriously thought that Amy Ryan was an absolute lock for the nomination and win for Guest Actress in the Comedy. Matt, we completely forgot about Amy Ryan. I know, I can't believe that. When you posted that comment, I was like, oh my God, head slap moment. Yeah, if anybody deserves a nom for guest actors, and I don't know what the conditions are. I guess that's my thing. The only thing I could think of is maybe a guest actor can only appear in a certain number of episodes or something, because the fact that she didn't get nominated and, like, Betty White for My Name is Earl got nominated, and I know you're a huge fan of Jennifer Aniston and her arms, Kevin, but, uh, you know, she was funny in that one episode of 30 Rock, but is she better than Amy Ryan in those five episodes that she did this year? I don't think so. You know, I actually watched an episode of 30 Rock because of Jennifer Aniston. I'll tell you, I love Jennifer Aniston. She's one of my favorites, but there's no way in hell she did a better job than Amy Ryan. <laughs> so, Sorry, Jen. Head scratching there, Rick. I don't know, maybe it's the, uh, like I said, maybe it's some kind of arcane rule that we don't understand. Um, boy, but I know, I know I'm sad, Kevin. I'm really upset that Idris Elba didn't get nominated for <laughs> Yeah, boy, you know, let's start a protest right now. Well, though, speaking, you know, we t you talked earlier about the, the, you know, you wouldn't want Michael Scott to uh, leave, but maybe you do want him to stay because look what you get in return. But anyway. Exactly. <laughs> All right, well, Matt, you posted on the blog the Let's Get Sexy video from Craig Robinson, which is quite profane and available on funnyordie.com. 
Jake in L.A. wrote, I saw Craig Robinson in concert with Tenacious D a few months ago. That clip was pretty funny, but the set he did was off the charts. He sat at the piano with a giant funk band packing him, backing him, and it was one monstrous funny medley. If you have a chance to see him, don't pass it up. Even if you hate Daryl, like our no soul host Matt. Ouch. <laughs> hey, I didn't I say in season five that I like Daryl now. I like the way that they've been using him in season five. Absolutely. So, so good tip there from Jake Nelling. I'm changing my ways now, as long as he keeps that Yoda mentality uh, for Michael rather than being a tormentor. I've got nothing against him. All right. Uh, regarding episode 73, we talked about blackmail. Lee said, it's a weird thing. When Ed Helms joined the cast, I really didn't care for his character or find his humor that funny. But recently I saw The Hangover. Now I'm finding myself laughing more at his parts in The Office and appreciating what he brings to the show. I can't explain it, but now I like his character and find myself laughing out loud at Andy's parts. So there you go. I mean, I, I think we both went, uh, talked about this the last time. I, I think we both agree. Definitely, I questioned what point he would have on the show, and uh, I think he's found his niche, and we definitely saw that in Blackmail. Yeah, and as you pointed out uh, on the blog, they changed the artwork for the Season 6 or Season 5 DVD and put Ed Helms on there now. Yep, so he's part of that Core 5 or Core 6, I guess now. Yeah. Uh, BJ Novak, thanks to his contract, still manages to get himself on the cover of the DVD. All right. Well, Maura had an interesting take on Ed Helms. She, she wrote, I love Ed Helms, but I have to say I was disgusted by The Hangover. It had no funny parts, and Ed just isn't likable as a, as a character as he is in The Office. It also seemed that Ed's heart just wasn't in it, like he was going through the motions a lot of the time. This was a big payday, and he was just getting it out of the way. That was my impression anyway. That being said, it's still extremely entertaining, just not as good as I know Ed is capable of. <laughs> so let me get this straight. It was... Entertaining, but not funny and disgusting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Morris of two right. minds, apparently, here about this film. Well, I can understand that. I mean, it's it's uh, we both kind of played on that, Kevin. It's not really that laugh-out-loud funny. Most of the people I've talked to, you know, it's, it's kind of more of a low-key kind of comedy. Um, some people apparently think it's the funniest thing ever. I was a little less uproarious, but still enjoyed it. I don't know. I, I think that if you're disgusted by that movie and you don't think it's funny, I'm not sure what the point of watching it is. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, Pam Pong had this to say. said, I saw The Proposal last night with some girlfriends, and it was actually a lot better than I thought it would be. Oscar was hilarious. The weird thing was, the whole time he was on screen, I couldn't help but think that Oscar from The Office would be disappointed in Oscar the actor's choice of roles. But maybe that's just me. It was cool to see him acting as a completely different character. So I still haven't seen that. I probably never will. But uh, he posted some impressions, talked about it a little bit in that last episode and uh, enjoyed Oscar's I, part. I gotta say that, you know, that the Oscar from the office would be disappointed Oscar, the actor's choice of roles. I think that's superb <laughs> turn of phrase. All right, our last email of the day, random comment from Troy via email. First of all, I love your podcast. I thought I was the only one who likes to overanalyze episodes of The Office. Now, regarding the cold opens, I particularly like the cold opens that have nothing to do with the plot. When I tune into a new episode of The Office, I don't want to jump right into the plot. Thank you for listening to my rants and keep up the micro-raculous work on your podcast, quoting from Business Ethics. So thank well, we talked about that before. That's one of my things that a lot of times, especially with the running time being cut down so much, that I 
as much as I enjoy some of those, like that one we ended with last season with everyone kind of getting Michael to sleep after eating his big pot pie. I mean, that was a really mm-hmm. funny little cold open, but it, you know, it's two minutes taken away from a 20 minute running time. So a lot of times I almost wish we could get more into the plot, but uh, eh, point taken. See, it needs to be integral to the plot, like in stress relief. <laughs> Yeah, don't let me start it on stress relief. All right, well, that's about going to do it for us for this episode. Join us in hmm, sometime for episode 75, our uh, Diamond Anniversary episode, Kevin. Please send any comments or constructive compliments to twsspodcast at gmail.com and visit the show blog page at twsspodcast.com. If you have a chance, if you haven't done it so far, if you listen to the show, if you like the show, please leave positive feedback on iTunes. Uh, those reviews help us get noticed, help people find the show. So let us know what you think of the show on there and help spread the word in other office-related forums you might visit. Every little bit helps. Music for this episode is provided by the Podshow Podsafe Music Network. Check it out at music.podshow.com. And remember, head on over to nbc.com slash the underscore office during the week for additional deleted scenes, interviews, webisodes, episode recaps, cast blogs, and more. For Kevin Crossman, I am Matt Summer, and we are out of here. cannot believe that he parlayed that crap into like a three or four record career. (laughs) I hope he really saved all of his pennies, Kevin. That's all I got to (laughs) say.